Hello, Internet! Welcome to episode 80 of the Assorted Calibers podcast. The Second Amendment podcast is a little bit for everyone. I'm Weirdbeard, and with me as always is my wonderful, my patient, and my endearing hostess, Aaron Paulette. How are you doing, Aaron? Yeah, he says that because he kept me waiting for 30 minutes to record this episode. So, yeah, you know, he's got to butter me up. It's been a week, <laughs> and I, I, I need to butter Aaron right up. <laughs> Um, as to how I'm doing, well, I, I feel like our episode number, um, I have spent most of the afternoon in pain. My, my back has been hurting. And so I, I feel like, you know, an old 80 year old woman. Uh, so yesterday we took down the hurricane shutters because hurricane season is basically over. And we wanted to do that before black friday because black friday is when we decorate for christmas because that's mom's thing and so it, it isn't so much the taking the shutters down that's the difficult part it's the okay well now i've got five to seven of them and i need to carry them back to the garage and stack them and that that tweaked my back a little bit and then today i woke up and i actually i well no let me back up it's not that i woke up and was hurting but i i thought that I had taken care of everything the night before, and so as I get up and I do my thing, it's like, I, I start to hurt back there, and I'm actually not sure if I, like, pulled a muscle, you know, if it's a, a sprain, a strain, a cramp, or whatever, but it's also in the right place where it could be a kidney stone. I have lost track of how many kidney stones I, I have. Um, you know, once I had about 12 of them, I stopped counting. Oh, wow. And it was it, it was just high in the back, and and I wasn't sure. And uh, it wasn't like the worst pain I've ever had, but it was one of those, okay, the pain is constantly in my mind, and I'm having trouble thinking of anything other than that. And I'm sitting here going, okay, which is better at this point? Is, is it, you know, a, a tweaked muscle, or is it the kidney stone? Because the kidney stone is going to suck. Believe me. It, it really sucks. My, my mom has had a kidney stone. She has given birth to three children. She tells me that the kidney stone hurt worse than delivery. So I believe her. The thing is, I have oxy from when the dog mauled my face. In a worst case scenario, I take a prescription dose and I go to bed and I try to sleep through it because I've done similar things in the past. Uh, you know, it'll suck, but it'll suck for like a day. And I haven't yet had the kidney stone that requires the ultrasound to break it up or an operation or whatever. So odds are pretty good. On the other hand, a soft tissue injury, it doesn't hurt as much, but it lingers for days, weeks, maybe even months. And I'm just sitting here going, on the aggregate, which one is going to hurt worse? Now, fortunately, and I, I'm sure that our listeners will be happy to hear, I, I'm actually feeling better. So whichever one it was... Uh, and it was probably a back issue, uh, a muscle issue as opposed to the kidney stone. But if it was a kidney stone, it made its way through and it was small and now it's in my bladder. Uh, but, but regardless, I'm feeling a lot better. I'm still feeling kind of wiped out, kind of the whole hangover of pain. Mm -hmm. But oh my gosh, it's a relief. So yes, that, that's why I feel like I'm 80 years old. How are you doing, Weirdington? I, Bring me my Geritol. I, I, I've had a similar experience with, I had a, uh, I don't know if I talked about it on this show, but I, I've had pericarditis, which is a, an infection of the heart. And uh, the cool thing about it is that it manifests itself very similar to a mild heart attack. And so, Now, hang on. Um, the pericardium, 
it isn't that like the sack around the heart as correct. opposed to the heart itself? That is correct. Yeah, your 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 heart okay. essentially has a very it, honestly speaking, if you look at a human heart, it actually looks like it's in a it, in it, it's shrink wrapped. And so <laughs> and that shrink wrap is called the pericardium and there's a small amount of fluid that lubricates it between it and the heart and uh, if that gets inflamed and it starts taking on fluid, it actually starts pressing on your heart and it'll cause chest pain. So like whenever I'm filling out one of those forms at the doctor's office that says, have you ever experienced chest pain? I always have to check yes, even though it's probably not for what you're thinking. <laughs> and interesting enough, it was my right arm, not my left arm. They usually say it's supposed to be the left arm. My right arm was my right arm and my throat were hurting. Uh, I was very, very sick. It was, I don't know if it was the flu or what, but I had a really bad illness and it spread to my heart. And so it went from me coughing and feeling miserable and playing lots of Grand Theft Auto <laughs> to to me going, oh, my right arm hurts. I wonder if I gave myself carpal tunnel and oh, my throat is burning. It's just from all this coughing. And then realized, oh, it's getting really painful. And eventually I ended up checking into the ER and they went, oh, yeah, no, you're the first they thought you have a heart attack you're, you're having a heart attack and i was like 24 at the time and they're and they're like do you have any heart conditions no okay how much coke do you do i, I don't do any coke. <laughs> how much coke do you do uh, uh, mother can you come out into the hallway with me all right she's gone how much coke do you do <laughs> like literally they asked me like 30 40 times and i finally ended up i have never seen cocaine which is still true, by the way. I'm, I'm 40 years old now, and I've never seen cocaine. If someone would like to, I don't want to do it, but if someone wants to just show me some cocaine, it'd be cool just to see it. <laughs> but now fast forward like 10 years later, and I was working out, and I probably just tweaked my shoulder, but my right arm was aching. And I'd been lifting weights, and I'm like, oh, my lifting weights. But what if it's pericarditis? It does feel a little bit like the chest pain. It does feel a little bit like that and now next thing you know i start panicking and i have asthma and so i start getting shortness of breath and now it's what else i have chest pain and shortness of breath it's coming back i have pericarditis and so i ended up checking myself into the er and they're just like yeah you're an idiot (laughs) (laughs) that's an actual medical diagnosis oh literally just i mean just the texts are just like the no you pulled a muscle (laughs) dumbass And I'm like, it probably was. But like I said, just once you start worrying about it and all that, suddenly other symptoms start showing up. <sighs> yeah, the the human ability to psych itself into sickness is really remarkable. I mean, it's the whole reason why we do double blind studies for drugs is mm-hmm. not only can you not know whether or not you are taking a, a, a whether you're taking a pill or not taking a pill, and so therefore the idea of oh well, I'm in the group that's not taking a pill. Clearly, I'm not feeling as well, and the I'm taking a pill. I'm feeling better. So there is a video that I'm going to link in the show notes because it's it's too long to explain and it's really cool it's from um the second season of the tv show legion which is really cool in the second season they actually talked about psychology and a lot of the segments can stand alone and this one is narrated by john ham and so it's it's really good And, and they talk about the nocebo effect i'm actually not familiar with that Okay, you've heard of of the placebo. You take this and you will feel better. Mm-hmm. The nocebo is the opposite. Someone gives you sugar and tells you that it will make you sick, it will make you vomit, and you can do that. And then it goes on to talk about how the ability of the human body to not only make itself sick, but also you can make other people sick. And it's it, it's remarkable 
how how contagion can happen and it's all completely in the mind it's really cool it, it's outside of the purview of this discussion but i really want people to see it um yeah well, and, and and in fact if you watch chicago med uh, a couple episodes back that was like in one of their episodes and it was like i know what's going on so i'm gonna link that and it's really really cool well, I remember reading also an article on like a bunch of middle-aged men going into the doctor's office with the old sports injury and this old sports injury is starting to flare up and it wasn't responding to conventional treatment. And then they put them on antidepressants and the sports injury went away and the literally you can feel so bad that it hurts like and it's physical pain. It's just it's the, the human mind is is both amazing and terrifying. And it's it's so cool, and it's like you know four minutes. Well, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you for diving down that geek rabbit hole, Aaron. You know how I respond to geekiness. <laughs> I know you do, um, Aaron. You know what else I like to do? <laughs> well, yes, I do. But I thought this was a PG podcast. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only do I like to do that, but I also like to kick Michael Bloomberg in his. <laughs> 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 so we talked about we actually we had the round table just to just to punt him in the balls a few times and oh yes and and i came out very strongly in favor of him running and apparently he took my advice he is officially entering the race yep to the to, to the joy of nobody <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm happy. Well, oh, I'm, I, I'm ecstatic about it. I, I was, my daughter actually came in, came into the kitchen as I was, I was cleaning up dishes and I was listening to the news and it came, it officially came across that he had, he had officially was running and I just started laughing and laughing and laughing. And she's like, what are you laughing at, daddy? Oh, it, uh, I can't explain it. <laughs> but we are already reaping the benefits of this. And I'm going to quote from the Daily Mail. This came out like 12 hours ago. Piers Morgan says, Michael Bloomberg's sickening suppression of his own journalists would shame even Putin, proves Trump is right about fake news, and makes him unfit to be president. <laughs> Piers Morgan says this. <laughs> and of course, the, the joy to that is that Piers Morgan is... Is insanely anti-gun. Like he mm -hmm. was, like when he had that show. Because I think he's he's no longer on. Like, I don't watch TV news, but he. I think he had a show on CNN. Was it or I don't know what. But but when he had his show here in America, it seemed like every episode was more talk on gun control, more talk on banning guns, more talk on banning guns. And so, but hey, guess what? No. uh it's not gonna be good actually uh dan savage from the savage love cast uh he uh i mean it's uh, he, his we have recorded this the the latest episode since michael bloomberg's thrown his hat in the ring isn't gone hasn't gone uh, live yet but when he was first announcing that he was considering and filing the paperwork the same time we were doing the round table dan savage who is I, i've done weird audio fisks against yeah, him rabidly anti-gun rabidly anti-gun and all he could talk about was how much he hated michael bloomberg and what a horrible person he was and what a horrible like welt on the democrat party he is 
And it's just one of those like, oh, the 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 left wing people hate him because he's a, a a billionaire plutocrat and he's racist and he's sexist. And then the right hates him because he's an authoritarian dictator. And the uh, and, and all the people in the middle are like, and he also wants to ban guns and soda. <laughs> <laughs> We can all unite that he's a terrible person. <sighs> but again, <laughs> like President Donald Trump, the Assorted Calibers podcast wholeheartedly endorses the run of Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> oh, also, interestingly enough, both Everytown and The Trace, both owned by Michael Bloomberg, have zero mention of him as a candidate. I find- Interesting. I find that hilarious that they're not even talking about Well, maybe they're trying to maintain distance, because if they talked about it, there would be suggestions of impropriety or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, the, also, the website's been totally dark for months. So, so I mean, just, there's really not a whole lot. The Trace is still updating with stories, but but they're being very tepid, because I think Bloomberg knows that his name is stuck on those, no matter how much he tried to avoid it. So mm-hmm. hey, guess what? He's gonna, he's telling them, I don't be too crazy. <laughs> don't talk about the stuff that I actually want, because people might find out about that and not vote for me. Tepid is a good word choice that isn't used often enough. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah, because, okay, room temperature and eh, lukewarm, you're kind of getting there. But tepid, tepid includes both that not warm enough nor cold enough but also includes a bit of wishy-washiness in there mm-hmm. Ooh, i love it there's a there's a, there's a bit of boring <laughs> <laughs> it is it is not lukewarm bath water which you know what can be refreshing depending on depending on the season mm-hmm. but having a tepid cup of tea on the all right if you throw some ice cubes in this i can enjoy myself some iced tea you make this nice and warm i can also enjoy this tepid is just diminishing the product (laughs) yeah tepid is right up there with insipid yes very much so (laughs) so yeah uh i mean there's not really a whole lot to go into we covered it all in the uh in in the round table where we went about him there's there's nothing new about him except for he's trying to get out from behind stop and frisk which in it itself is He's he's just telling everybody about stop and frisk a little bit more. So let's draw attention to my flaws so I can apologize for them. Oh, so, yeah, uh, hopefully he will. Really, my concern about him is that hopefully is that he's going to flame out fast with everybody hating on him, that hopefully he makes at least a good run of it and really kind of sticks to it. I mean, you know, Kamala Harris at the time of this recording is still there. I can't guarantee that by the time you're listening to this show, Kamala Harris is still in the race. But the uh, uh, Cory Booker is still in, too. <laughs> They've got no reason to be in. They're not going to win. <sighs> I just I'm, politics is just one of my things that I geek out on. It's it's the part of my brain that doesn't isn't interested in sports. <laughs> Uh, so one other uh, a Second Amendment uh, issue that I, w- I wanted to talk about is uh, this is actually was uh, given to me by David uh, and the Florida has introduced a House bill that essentially will turn Florida into a constitutional carry state. Have you heard of this, Aaron? I have. And what I, I, I hearing your tone of voice, I, I, I am I am I'm afraid of uh, I, I think I know what you're uh, you're about to say on what's your feelings on it. 
it's not it's not going to happen. It yeah. will never happen. Let me tell you what's well, I don't exactly know what's going on, but a couple years back there was a bill introduced that basically said if you have your concealed carry permit, you can open carry. So, a far less ambitious bill. And it made it to uh I think the judiciary committee and it died in committee. And that's what all right, so I clicked on the link, and I, I believe that the last thing that happened was that it made it to a committee. Oh, it's in the Criminal Justice Subcommittee as of Monday, October 14th. They aren't going to do anything with it. It's going to do the exact same thing. They're going to let it die in c- committee. And here's why, okay? Some of you have heard my rant about Miami Republicans, and this is one of them. Now, Miami Republicans have never met a gun control bill they didn't like because, well, there are two reasons we aren't going to get open carry, let alone constitutional carry, in Florida. And those two reasons are Miami and Orlando. Now, Orlando, it's because of Pulse. But Miami, because since the 80s, with all the drugs and all the gangs and and all the shootings, they are firm believers in gun control. On the other hand, if they vote for gun control then that will lose them voters because they're Republicans and Republicans need to be seen as pro-gun. But they don't want to have it on their record that they voted for these gun rights either because their constituency is in Miami. And so what they do is it's brought before the committee and it dies in committee and no one votes on it and their record is fine. That's what happened with open carry for people with a freaking permit. So what makes you think that we're going to get constitutional carry anytime soon no 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 yeah when i saw the bill that's exactly what i thought is the uh, this is florida we're talking about which is really too bad but i mean we aren't going to be the last holdout i mean you've got new york and california and hawaii but we're going to be in the top five And, and i think the entire south would have to go constitutional carry before it even became a possibility I, I would love to be proven wrong. Please prove me wrong. But I, I do not hold out any hope. Yeah. I mean, states can be weird that way. I mean, it took New Hampshire to be in contact with either constitutional carry states or Massachusetts for them to finally do away with their completely worthless carry permit that is essentially you buy a pistol for $7 from the sheriff and that pistol is a piece of paper. <laughs> I mean, it's just you walk in. What? you. You do it, they run a next check on your background. If it comes back, they give you a handwritten piece of paper that is with official seal on it. And that says, ta-da, magic. Then they don't even take your picture. <laughs> it is one of those, why are they doing this? And then they finally went, okay. Maine got constitutional carry, and they just went, okay, we get it. Yeah, Indiana doesn't take your picture either, because I have friends who live in Indiana, and they've shown me their concealed carry permit. And it's just a pink or salmon uh colored piece of paper that's like folded over Mm -hmm. and and it's literally it's just a piece of paper it's not even laminated it's hilarious (laughs) so it it could dissolve in the rain and yeah there's no picture and so it's like really really why do you even bother marco close (laughs) showed me his and yeah his was yeah non-laminated just piece of paper and yeah, he had, had it all folded up into a square in his wallet and so it was all folded and frayed at the edges and it had misspellings on it <laughs> it's just one of those 
as Jay Gracio from the Squirrel Report said, their concealed carry is why bother. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I actually when I applied for my uh, New Hampshire non-resident permit, uh, yeah, I literally I had an extra passport photo and I just threw it in the envelope because I'm like, there's no way they don't need it. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure they took that passport photo and p- p- pitched it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Are serrated knives any good? That's a question I've had for a while. And now Oddball brings us his opinions on that matter. Welcome to Oddball's Corner Pocket. This week, Weird asked if I could do a quick segment on serrated versus plain edge knives. Serrated knives have teeth along the edge like a saw blade, while plain edge knives do not. Hope that helps. As always, you can read more of my thoughts at gunscarstech.com. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future segments, I can be reached at oddball at gunscarstech.com or at the Assorted Calibers Facebook group. Oh, I'm being told that he might want me to go a little deeper than that. Okay. As I said, serrated knives have teeth along the blade of the knife. These teeth will have cutting edges of their own. This configuration helps bite into the material that you're trying to cut. This allows the knife to cut into tougher materials like wood and rope. It can also help softer materials perform better than they ordinarily would. If you want to see the difference, there's an easy experiment you can run. Take a sheet of paper and place it on a cutting board. Take your favorite straight-edge knife and run the belly of the blade down the paper. Chances are you may have cut the paper in spots, but mostly you just scored the surface of it. Now, take the same knife and run the tip of the blade down the page. If you have a sharp tip, the knife should easily cut through the entire sheet of paper. This is basically simulating one of the teeth of a serrated blade. Once you add 10, 20, 30 of those runs, you can see how that can easily cut through a lot of material in a hurry. On top of that, the aggressive nature of the teeth means that the cutting surface doesn't need to be as sharp to continue to work. I have seen saw blades whose teeth basically didn't have a cutting edge that happily bit into and cut wood. This means that you don't need to sharpen your knife as often, and you get good performance using softer, and usually cheaper, knife steels. So, if a serrated blade can do all of this, why are most knives non-serrated, or at least only partially serrated? Well, there are things that a plain edge will do better. First, a plain edge will make a finer cut than a serrated. Serrated blades have a tendency to rip and tear at the material more than slice. This is what causes sawdust. The thicker the blade, the more this is true. This may be fine when cutting a 2x4 or a thick, crusted bread loaf. But slicing up something as delicate as a tomato? Yeah, that's just going to end up as a mess. I will say there are companies that make knives with fine enough serrations that it's not that bad of a problem, but a good plain edge will always be a better experience. Similarly, a plain edge is better at cutting through meat. Second, most serrated edges will only cut in one or two directions. Think about your average saw blade. It works great when pulling the blade towards you, but won't do anything but skip across the surface when pushing it away. It's not uncommon to see serrations on a knife that will also 
cut when pushing away, but they're still difficult, if not useless, when chopping or pressing the knife into the material. This can make veggie prep difficult and whittling or carving almost impossible. Next, the fact that serrations bite into things so easily can be a problem. If the blade can't quite cut through the material, it will snag and bind in it. I'm sure everyone has experienced a saw blade sticking into wood because there's too much pressure being used. With these snags comes the chance of the blade to jump and possibly hurt you or someone else. Lastly, when it does come time to sharpening it, serrated blades are a lot more difficult. You have to basically treat every tooth as its own edge, and getting into the serrations can be difficult with standard sharpening equipment. For the most part, the best solution is to send it into the manufacturer for higher-end blades and just toss it out and get a new one for cheaper blades. So which should you choose? Depends on the task. Obviously, if you're going to do a lot of sawing with the blade, I'd go serrated. This is also true for cutting things like nylon rope and seat belts, where plain-edge knives have difficulty biting in. In the kitchen, I mainly go with plain edge. The one exception is with my bread knife. It may create more crumbs when cutting, but it's a lot easier to get through thick crusts with a serrated blade. My EDC blades are typically not serrated. I do a lot more slicing than sawing in my life, so I choose the best tool for the task. Of course, your mileage may vary. Finally, there's the question of knives for defensive use. There's actually some argument about this. There's the camp that believes you should carry a plain edge because it won't snag. I've seen tests done on dummies where a serrated edge gets defeated by a sweatshirt. The teeth grabbed the material and simply dragged the sweater over the dummy, leaving the simulated flesh either unharmed or with minimal damage. On the other hand, the plain edge happily sliced through the fabric and into the dummy. As for which cuts into bare flesh better, well, meat is meat, and the plain edge makes the deeper, smoother cut. Not that I'm signing up to experience either firsthand. Oddly enough, the fact that it's harder to cut flesh is the reason that the folks that like serrated knives do so. If you've ever been cut with an extremely sharp knife, you may have noticed that you didn't feel the cut for a while. Their argument is that that will be the case with a sharp plain edge in a fight. A serrated knife, on the other hand, will grab and tear at the flesh. The chances of the subject feeling it are higher, and therefore, there is more of a chance that that person will decide that they have somewhere better to be, like at a hospital to deal with that cut. Me personally, I typically don't carry a dedicated defensive knife. I'm confident that if I ever had to, my ADC knife would work just fine. Okay, I've rambled enough. I think that I've already told you where to find me, and I do really like suggestions for future segments. So, until next time, have a good one. You know, I'm actually somewhat disappointed he didn't just commit to that and close... <laughs> He well he did he did tell me he did tell me that you know what if you want you could just cut that other stuff out. 
But uh, yeah, no, when I heard that, I was just l- laughing so hard on the, oh, there, you can reach me. <laughs> and for those that don't listen to the blooper reel, you you might realize that there's actually several times where I read the end the the, the ending of the show early because I'm just like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's enough show for right now. Uh, yeah, I I I just I wanted to know because I've heard some people talk about their love of serrated knives, and I gotta say, I I don't I don't care for them. I I use straight knives for almost everything uh i mean it's one of those i'll 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 cut i'll cut bread with a just it just needs to be sharp that's the the one drawback to is a serrated knife is unless it's really worn out in which case yeah throw it away and get another one because don't buy an expensive serrated knife uh but yeah you could just grab those and they work uh versus eh, no the blade might you might need to run it over a stone real quick before you can slice a piece of bread or you know, start cutting tomatoes and that sort of stuff. So I'm actually in the minority here. I really enjoy serrated knives. And in fact, my favorite knives are the hybrid where they're straight in front and serrated in the back. And I know that's going to drive oddball crazy and maybe some other people, but I like the versatility. Mm, I mean, I... I appreciate what the versatility is. I just overall don't see it. Like actually like right now, I, I've just been too lazy to do it. I I have, uh, I ended up getting a uh, CRKT uh, Carajas and, and just found it on sale, gave it a try, found out I am in love with this knife. And of course, Columbia River in their infinite knowledge, when they make a good knife, they make it for a short period of time and then never make it again. <laughs> so I ended up going, man, I really like this knife. I should just, I'm carrying it all the time. I should just get a backup for it. And I went mm-hmm. to like knifecenter.com and found it for like a decent price. I mean, like I went on Amazon and they had like some for like $300 because it's, it's, it's discontinued. Ugh. And I'm just like, no, I'm not going to spend that amount of money. And I went on knifecenter.com and found it, but only found it in the combo edge. And, uh, and it, 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 it dropped a, it, it dropped a screw and it's actually puking out ball bearings. So I, <laughs> Yeah, so I need to send it back to Columbia River for servicing. So I, I end up, I'm now I'm r- r- carrying the backup one, but the only only one that I could get was a combo edge, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine, and it's actually a really nice serration pattern where it's actually kind of a little bit more of a of a smoothed out. It's not quite the like jagged saw teeth sort of look, and so I find that that actually cuts a whole lot better than than some of the more uh, saw teeth like uh, like serrations but i've overall just find that i just it doesn't cut any better than the other one and there's less overall you know straight blade so eh, so that's my feeling that's why i was really why i was asking oddball that is suddenly i'm carrying this serrated knife and i'm like i don't really feel like i'm gaining anything is is it just me oh okay well i'm not gonna tell you you're wrong because you know it works for you and that's great i i just like what I really like, and this is probably where people are going to really shudder, um, I like the the combo edge with the tanto tip because it gives me you know plenty of straight for when I need it, and then if I need to like cut through rope or whatever, I've got the saw at the end. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. And you're not going to call me wrong, but I also pronounce it GIF, mem, and and I think mint chocolate tastes awful. <laughs> you know, okay, I could forgive the other two, but that last one. Son, you need Jesus. 
So, speaking of wrongness, we had part one last week. This week we have part two of two, fortunately, as Weird continues to fisk the insipidity of MSNBC. Okay, last week I was fisking an interview of Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey, conducted by Stephanie Rule of MSNBC. As you might expect, the interview is stridently anti-gun and filled with softball questions on the Congresswoman's obviously flawed political plans. I'm going to start with a piece of rhetoric I hear often from anti-gunners. We've also heard from people throughout our communities, parents and grandparents, saying the very first thing my daughter or son or grandson or granddaughter did when she or he went to kindergarten was to do a gun safety drill. And that's not what we want to see in our skills. We can't live with this level of violence. I don't know. Are active shooter drills needed in schools? I really don't know. Are active shooter drills needed in schools? We do fire drills in schools. And while fire is very scary... I always saw it as a fun break from the usual classwork. In the Northeast, we don't have this issue. But in other parts of the country, they do earthquake and tornado drills. I've never heard a complaint about those. But my dad always talked about the duck and cover drills from his childhood. The idea that huddling up in a ball will protect you in the least against a nuclear blast is really quite laughable. While we still hear various countries developing nuclear programs, and our relationship with the Russians really hasn't improved very much since the days of the Soviet Union, so there is always the danger of a nuclear strike. But we don't duck and cover, because frankly the benefits are almost non-existent, and the disruption to class is far more of an issue. As far as I can tell, it does seem that locking down schools does limit the number of students the killer has access to. Though the common tactic of huddling in a corner probably causes more harm if the killer does gain access. Clearly, when police follow their training and actively engage the killer as quickly as possible, the results are always good. And it just isn't police that see these results. When others engage the killer, they're often successful. Unfortunately, in schools where only the police may be armed, this generally means the chances of a positive outcome are diminished. But the whole line of... We can't live with this level of violence is hyperbolic crap. I've included a list of the mass shootings in the United States, and you'll see that huge swaths of the country haven't experienced a single one. And this is a cumulative list since the University of Texas killing in 1966. So depending on your age, many of those attacks happened before you were born. We need to keep the hyperbole down on this issue because children need schooling and haven't yet learned that adults may say crazy things out of ignorance or for political gains. What really turns my stomach are clips like this. One of the reasons we're homeschooled is that my mom thinks that it's not safe for children to be in public schools because of the shootings. And what do you, I want to know what you plan to do about the shootings. This was a child in New Hampshire. New Hampshire has never had a mass shooting or a school shooting of any kind. I remember seeing interviews of the students at the Parkland School saying, I knew that it was only a matter of time before this happened in my school. But they weren't saying that because they knew the killer. This is straight up child abuse. I have no problems teaching your children about dangers and how to avoid them. But crossing over to what I could argue is an instilled phobia is beyond the pale. These are little kids who are saying, I'm homeschooled because my mom is afraid. We're seeing bulletproof backpack sales skyrocket. 
Kids being terrified of an event most Americans live their entire life without experiencing is child abuse. As for the backpacks, I mean, if you're willing to spend the money on a lightweight ballistics plate and your child gains comfort rather than fear from that, I can't argue against it. Oh, but remember last week when they said this? This man reportedly had multiple semi-automatic weapons and body armor in the privacy of his own home. Yep, you own a modern gun, or you and your child take comfort knowing that they have another tool in their toolbox for self-defense, you're suddenly a danger to society. The very first thing that has to happen is we have to start seeing the Senate passing some of these bills. Almost 200 days ago, the House passed a universal background checks bill. Um, you mentioned a poll recently that 55% of Americans are afraid we're going to see another gun attack. That same poll said that 90% of Americans want to see a universal background checks bill. Boy, anti-gunners love this poll. Probably because, as far as I can tell, it's a well-conducted poll. And its results don't mesh with reality. Again, I draw your attention to any referendum on universal background checks. Since the first one in Washington state, Michael Bloomberg vastly outspent the NRA in political ads. And at best, he gets 60% of the vote. And that's in anti-gun states that have already been fighting the Second Amendment. In states with more relaxed gun laws, even with the massive spending, the question gets shut down, and often very hard. If the 90% number was true at least as it concerns Michael Bloomberg's proposals, we would have seen evidence of it. In fact, it's wildly unpopular, especially in pro-gun states that tend to skew Republican. So is it any wonder that the Senate keeps shooting down these laws? It is past time the Senate move forward on this and pass that critical piece of gun safety legislation. Then take me to Capitol Hill. Why isn't that happening? If we're seeing a lion's share of actual NRA members saying we could do something on background checks, if, if there are uh, people who are part of gun culture who think we need to do something, where's the stop? As I said last week, I think most gun owners could get behind a system that simply allows open access to all the NICS database from any place with an internet connection. But the moment we need to involve an FFL, which means travel time and transfer fees, and a 4473 form that requires make, model, and serial number of the firearm, we're not looking at a background check bill, but a gun registry, which is something the anti-gunners love, but law enforcement never uses. But registrations are mighty handy when it comes to wide-scale confiscation. And really, none of this is critical safety, as violent criminals don't generally get their guns through legal sources, and these spree killers almost always pass a background check. Stephanie, I don't know. My own father was a lifetime member of the NRA. He recently gave up his membership because he's so disgusted at the fact that we can't pass gun safety legislation, that it's no longer just a sportsman group, um, that it's just a gun manufacturing lobby group that is withholding some of the good legislation that we need to pass. I know a lot of NRA members who have recently let their membership lapse. I know quite a few who did it the moment the NRA hopped into bed with Donald Trump. I know even more who jumped ship when Donald Trump banned bump stocks, pretty much with the blessing of the NRA. Now they're jumping ship in droves, now that the allegations of misconduct of Wayne LaPierre have come out, and his dictatorial restructuring of the organization. Maybe your dad left for those reasons. Also, her dad's likely older than my dad. Could be that he just belonged to one of those shooting clubs built by the NRA that require NRA membership for the members. And he's just too old to shoot anymore. This is a woman who used to fly sub-hunter helicopters and who calls commercial AR-15s weapons of war. So as far as I know, this could all be a lie. 
And I like that little quip at the end about the NRA being the lobby for the gun makers. By the way, if you're only concerned about the gun makers, you demand all gun sales need to be done in gun shops where the new guns are, as gun makers make no money on the sale of used guns or people horse trading their personal stocks of ammo. And she is an every town endorsed and funded candidate. Yeah, an actual corporate lobby for the ban of guns in America. I, you know, Stephanie, this is something that's been going on in this country for decades in our urban areas. As a federal prosecutor, I was working on getting guns off the street in Patterson and Newark. I saw how it devastated families in those towns. Now we see mass shootings almost monthly, sometimes bi-monthly. I, you know what? It doesn't matter if it to me as a mother, if it's a mental health issue or not. What matters to me is we start to get these guns out of the hands of people that are committing these crimes. Interesting. You mean all those gun laws in New Jersey? didn't work. But of course she wants more gun laws, unlike, say, the laws in neighboring Pennsylvania that enjoy much less violent crime without nearly the level of infringements. If the president decides to pivot and actually do something on gun safety, if Mitch McConnell does, it would be a tremendous win for them. Uh, for all of those who said the president is going to pivot, he's going to pivot, and he never did. Can Democrats work with Mitch McConnell and President Trump if it means a massive political win for them as we go into 2020? Another softball question. Can they work with Republicans if they simply lie down and accept Michael Bloomberg's anti-gun agenda carte blanche? I mean, that's a no-brainer. Still, if Republicans are sitting on such a big win, why did Michael Bloomberg fund abortion and women's health ads in the 2018 election cycle with his gun control money? He literally made an effort not to talk about guns to help his lawyer retainers get elected. So yeah. Cool story, but it's all crap. We can certainly work with them on gun safety legislation. This is critical. This isn't about politics. This isn't a Democratic issue, a Republican issue. This is an issue of safety for the American people. This is an issue of safety for our children. I have four of them. Says the woman from New Jersey that has some of the most restrictive gun laws and some of the highest violent crime numbers. There has never been an instance where gun control was passed and crime went down. This is all about politics. And worse yet, as much as they talk about human life and safety, and she even talks about her own kids, it's all about guns. Those are your anti-gun talking points and a few rebuttals to combat them. So again, I, I want to point out, even though this is an old uh, Fisk, it's, a, it's something that just yeah, it got pushed in the back burner, but I will point out that this protest that they're talking about was all funded by Michael Bloomberg, who is currently running for president, and he doesn't want you to know about that. I was just trying to figure out the purpose of that softball at the end. Will you be willing to work with your political opponents if they give in and concede their beliefs and go along with what you want? Yeah. Well, no sugar, Sherlock. Of course they will. <laughs> yeah, compromise really isn't in their vocabulary. <laughs> Oh, and, and I just, I've got to double down on that poor kid at the beginning that I quoted. It's just one of those things of the, if your kid is worried about a school shooter, you've failed as a parent. Like you've got to insulate them. You're, you're feeding them too much of the garbage nightly news or, or, or feeding them too much of just garbage. It's statistically not going to happen. And the idea that 
the, these kids are, are are wanting to go to be homeschooled just because they don't want to be at a school that gets shot up is just makes me sick to my stomach. Well, like you brought up when you mentioned fire drills and tornado drills. I mean, how many kids? This is a slightly rhetorical question because I don't think you know, but but how many kids experience anxiety because they are drilling for a fire? And no, I don't want to go to school because there's a fire drill. I really. Yeah. You know, I th- th- these are good. See, I'm I'm coming at it from the perspective of a prepper. Bad things happen, you should be prepared. Here is an easy thing we can do to be prepared and to give you a tool in your toolbox to use in case the unthinkable happens. Mm-hmm. As opposed to we don't want to think about it. We want to stick our heads in the sand and pretend everything's okay. And I guess it also boils down to the 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 insipidity of of our mm-hmm. active shooter drills because I mean Sandy Hook, which was the worst school shooting of all time, they were all engaged in their active shooter drill. They had an active shooter drill. You know, it's not like uh, I, I don't think there was any sort of drill at uh, at Virginia Tech when that was going on. They just nobody knew what to do. And and everyone kind of all did their own separate thing of what they thought was the best idea with that. But in Sandy Hook, they had a full protocol and that was initiated and it did nothing and same thing with um with parkland just they initiated the full protocol and and it i mean it, parkland there was a number of breakdowns that, mm-hmm. that also happened obviously with just the sheer incompetency of law enforcement but hey we need more government good going to, coward county yeah to uh yeah we need law enforcement to protect us not not ourselves as they bravely run away but <laughs> just money python reference kids ask your parents yeah, so I mean, it's one of those like clearly these drills aren't working. The fire drills, I, I I see I see no problem with them, and and I don't know about you, but as a kid, but I enjoyed them. It was there was there was nothing like putting down the pencils and the books and just going outside for for a couple minutes. And of course, they never played them on a rainy day, so it was always a nice day. So <laughs> outside, maybe you see some friends from another class that you haven't haven't had a, talk, a chance to talk to for a little while, and then you turn back around and you go back inside. And maybe they'll even say, "Good job, you guys got out in time, and it was a successful fire drill." So there, gold star too. I just <laughs> fire drills were just a win win at least at least as far as my schooling went. <laughs> Good job, you successfully walked. Yeah, it only yeah they they only got annoying when I got went to college when it was just drunks pulling the uh, pulling the fire alarms because for fun. Oh God, yes, we had one of those at least once a semester, and and it was always some. It wasn't just in the evening, but I mean it was late enough that we had either gone to bed or were going to bed. Like it never happened earlier than ten o'clock. Sometime happened like midnight or 2 a.m. or something, and it's just one of those. And I think the sentiment was shared by most of us. If I ever find out who did this, I'm going to kill that son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, and you didn't go to school at University of Maine. Let me tell you, if you get woken up at 1 o'clock in the morning and have to go down in your jammies, it might be 40 below. Oh, God. As a matter of fact, actually, there was a a good friend of mine. I was stumbling back from another person's dorm room where I had been drinking heavily. <laughs> and I got back to my dorm only to find all my friends waiting to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody! 
And I might have decided that my friend's look of sheer unamusement and tiredness meant, let's wrestle! And I might have thrown him into a snowbank <laughs> in his jammies at two o'clock in the morning. Dude, drunk you is an asshole. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> oh, good times. Oh, you also learn things in college. <laughs> Not to throw your friends in snowbanks at 2 a.m.? Yeah, well, it's all for last. We still talk about it fondly. <laughs> So speaking of learning things, you have an interview with a very interesting someone, an interview that I would like to point out I <clears throat> facilitated. That's right. You introduced <laughs> me to Chris Chang. I mean, we've uh, we've been we've been around each other for a while, but the first time you actually introduced me to him and we actually got to sit down and talk was uh, down at uh, GRPC in Phoenix. And uh, I said, man, I got to have you on the show. And specifically, I wanted to talk about his origin story. I love origin stories. So here is Chris Chang. I am pleased to welcome to the show uh, someone who... uh, I think I've had a chance to formally meet. I've, we've, we've been in each other's presence for a while, but this is the man who won season four of History Channel's Top Shot and is the author of the book Shoot to Win. Uh, please welcome to the show, Chris Chang. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I've seen you talk a lot, and I've, I've seen you give a lot of great speeches and all that, but I wanted to know... How did you get into the gun world? How how did you go f- from being a small child to being the the winner of Top Shot to to doing all the great things you do to be the person uh, of the notoriety that you are? Yeah, uh, you know, so my journey, uh, you know, with firearms started at a very young age. Uh, so you know, I, I grew up in Southern California, and when I was six years old, my father taught me how to shoot. And I started off on a very simple 22 revolver. It's a Ruger single six. And, you know, there's an interesting backstory, right, to, to how my father became, you know, first generation uh, American gun owner, right, in, on that side of the family. And, you know, he was born in Philadelphia. Uh, but, you know, his parents who emigrated from China did not own any firearms. Uh, my father served in the U.S. Navy, so that was his first exposure to firearms. And, you know, when I was born in 1979, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, the Reagan assassination attempt took place. And what's interesting is if you look back 40 years, at the time after the assassination attempt, there was talk of gun control and talk of banning handguns since that was the the platform used in the assassination attempt and like we have seen time and time again whenever anybody starts talking about banning a thing well what happens everybody goes out and runs to go buy the thing so my dad being a first-time father and you know having me um you know he he thought to himself okay well you know i want to protect my my son my family I better go out and get some pistols. <laughs> so that's what he did. Um, now, I guess what's interesting is growing up, I didn't shoot very often. It was something we only did every three or four years. And it was very simple, right? Just like going to the indoor range, 
rent a lane for an hour to punch some holes in paper and then the guns go back in the safe and I never see them for, you know, another three or four years. Then, you know, fast forward, you know, from age, you know, six through junior high, high school, and even through college and grad school, the year is 2009 and I'm gainfully employed at Google for the first time in my life. I've got some disposable income and I'm like, huh, you know, I've always wanted to buy a gun. Uh, now seems like a good time. So I went out and bought a SIG P226. It's uh, one of my favorite guns, uh, just an incredibly easy and comfortable gun to shoot. And, you know, I started to go to the range maybe once a quarter at that point. But I wasn't shooting competitively, right? This is all just right going to the range and just punching holes in paper. Uh, but then 2010 comes around. And that's when Top Shot season one started airing. And I became a fan of the show, like millions of viewers. And every week I'd sit down on the couch with, with some of my friends and we'd watch all of these incredibly cool and fun challenges that the, the Top Shot uh, producers were putting together. And like you do when you watch one of your favorite game shows, you, know, you occasionally fantasize. Uh, you know, you being in the game show, in the competition. Um, and, you know, I had no accolades and no, no real reason to think I could actually win. But, you know, after season two aired, um, I decided to just go and apply. And at that point, I owned my 226. I owned an AR-15. And I, own, I, I bought an AR-15 after watching season one of Top Shot. Right, which is interesting to to see this TV show and see civilians shooting an AR-15. I didn't even know we civilians could own AR-15s at the time. So it was a very educational experience for me. Top Shot was your gateway drug. Yeah, exactly. Right, and and so that's where you know media is, is such a powerful source of information for culture, for learning, for and for influence. Right, we're just me simply watching this reality televised competition made me ask the question, oh, can a regular civilian like me go buy an AR-15? And when I applied for Top Shot, um, I mean, I was just a nobody. And I remember on the application that everybody had to fill out, you know, there's a section that says, you know, tell us, tell us about your awards, commendations, uh, competition awards that you've won. And there was like six lines right available for you to fill out. And I remember I, I didn't want to just draw a zero, <laughs> but actually spelled out Z E R O just to so I could, you know, take up a little more space. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, when we and it came to the shooting competition part of the application process, um, you know, I, I did, I did well. Um, and clearly it was, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, good enough, right. To make it onto the cast and winning top shot, you know, it was, you know, and then, well, before getting on the show, I mean, I was you know, training 20 to 25 hours a week on top of my 50 hour a week, you know, full-time job. And, um, you know, for me, it was really about, making sacrifices 
in learning the finer points of marksmanship in order to really set myself up for success and, and win top shot. Um, so uh, that those were some of the broad brush strokes of uh, you know how I came into firearms, and it's just been an amazing experience ever since. And uh, one thing you often talk about uh, when you give your talks is the fact that uh, you are openly gay and how that's uh, a, a little bit of, I guess you could say, a non-traditional uh, intersection. I mean, I, 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 we're we at ACP are working hard to make that not an oddity of the fact that oh, you're you're gay and you're a Second Amendment supporter, but uh, but that does seem to sometimes go against the the more traditional view of a uh, of a Second Amendment activist. Uh, absolutely. I mean, and I think non-traditional is, uh, you know, I think it's a, a, a pretty good descriptor for it. Um, however, you know, what's been interesting is before I won Top Shot, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I was just literally a nobody who just enjoyed shooting guns. And I wasn't paying attention to the Second Amendment, to be frank. I, I couldn't have cared less about Second Amendment and gun rights. That just was not in my daily or even weekly consciousness it was uh, uh my gun was there for sort of home home protection um but as i have learned uh more right about and come to be a, a very staunch second amendment and gun rights advocate i've also learned that there are lots of gay people who are also gun owners or that they maybe don't even own a gun yet they support the second amendment and it is very much a reflection of America at large, and uh, you know the the LGBT part of the Second Amendment community is one that you know I think is uh, you know decently well known within the gun community, but with respect to mass media, mainstream media, uh, right? There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of stories or exposure around how. You know, LGBT Americans who are targeted for violence are using firearms to protect themselves. Right? That that's not a common narrative or common story that you hear. You know, on CNN or Fox News Channel or local media, it's it's obviously very dominated by school shootings, assault weapons bans, uh, right, and, and just a, a lot of the polarized debate right that we are uh, experiencing in our country today yeah that's that's really unfortunate i mean the if you if you focus on nothing but the negative i mean what choice do you have but to support gun control <laughs> if, if you don't ever hear about the uh, the positive sides did did you ever have any negative experiences either from the Second Amendment community when they found out that uh, that you were gay, or from the uh, uh, the uh, LGBT community uh, when they found out that uh, that you were a gun owner? Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting you ask that, and uh, you know when I when I won Top Shot, uh, you know I was working in Silicon Valley full time, and you know I ended up quitting my job at Google to be full-time in the firearms industry. Um, I was a professional three-gun shooter for Bass Pro Shops for three and a half years. And uh, when I joined the industry, I I, I knew nobody. I I abandoned Silicon Valley for an entirely new and unfamiliar industry. And 
I had to basically, at least for me, like I wanted to come out all over again, it's sort of like in Silicon Valley, you know, my career there, it's like, oh, no big deal. You're gay. Okay. Well, um, you sort of right come out at work and then it's just a sort of a one-time thing. But yeah, this was different, right? Where it's like, okay, like I just won a hundred thousand dollars and this pro shooting contract and the title of top shot and the industry doesn't know that I'm gay and oh, it shouldn't be a big deal, but um, you know, I, I definitely want to be an LGBT advocate in the Second Amendment community and in, in, in our spaces. So this has to be something that, uh, that that I make known. And so, you know, when I came out um, in 2014 to the outdoor industry, uh, most people didn't care, which was great, right? It was it was uh, a, a fairly non-event, um, which is for me, what equality looks like that when, you know, if, if gay people, if we want to be treated equally, then that for me means that nobody cares that we're gay, right? That we have the same struggles with love and relationships that everybody else has. And that, and that is, that is uh, you know, very true on a lot of levels. But the flip side of the coin was the gay community there were there were some pretty angrily vocal gay people who were saying silly things like you know we're going to revoke Chris's gay card and you know he he's not welcome here <laughs> and you when I hear statements like that it really goes against the grain of what the LGBT community has been advocating for decades which is a community right we're supposed to be a community of inclusion of bringing people in who understand what it's like to be marginalized, to be bullied, to be made fun of. Uh, yet here we are, right, where, where some portion of, of the LGBT community is vehemently anti, anti-gun. Um, right? there's, there's no discussion, there's no debate, you are excommunicado. And so uh, I was much more well-received as a gay person in the gun community than vice versa. Well, that's, I mean, both, both good and horrible to hear. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. a, I mean, but uh, obviously you're, that's not the, 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 the vast majority. Clearly you've, <laughs> you've got a, you've got a community that, uh, that you are a part of uh, within the, that accepts you for, for who you are. I mean, you know, I live in San Francisco and, you know, a lot of my gay friends don't, uh, they're not, they're not pro-gun. Um, they, you know, fairly uh, uh, actively disagree with me, uh, you know, on, on my, my positions and stances on, on guns and gun rights. Um, you know, for, for, thankfully, for my good friends, they're still my good friends. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of my acquaintances and, um, you know, uh, other, other acquaintances like on the periphery, um, you know, they just don't want to talk about it, which I also understand and respect. But, you know, if we're the attitude I take with uh, the gun rights conversation is one that is exactly like the gay rights conversation, which is. If we're going to solve the problem and bring people together, it will require us to directly interact with people who disagree with us. 
have you ever have you ever flipped anybody with just the them hanging out with you is the oh you're not a gun owner you're you're my friend chris and and get them to contemplate because i certainly have uh in uh in college i dated a girl who was a i mean textbook definition of a homophobe she was just she had seen pride parades and heard rumors and stories and all of that of what gay people were like and was legitimately unsettled by the idea of 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 gays and you know i'm like okay but uh, i was a band geek and so it's one of those like yeah we would come to a band party and i'll introduce you to my friends and uh hey. a band geek whole bunch of my friends were 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 gay and suddenly she suddenly realized oh you know it's the okay the 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 mysterious stereotype gay that's in my head versus meeting somebody like chris meeting somebody like you know uh, just sitting down and talking to somebody suddenly you realize gay people aren't really scary <laughs> there's really nothing I, they're, they're they're just they're just people they just love different kinds of people had very similar experience right uh, experiences on both ends right mm -hmm. where i often if i meet somebody new i don't immediately jump into hey i'm a gun owner or hey i'm gay right that's a sort of not uh um, not a typical lead-in, right, to someone who just who you just met, um, and, and so you know, right, we, I get to know them on a on a on a personal level, and right, we get to find those areas of commonality, um, and then right at some point, right, maybe I mention, right, I'm I'm, I'm married, or back before I was married, right, oh, you know, I have a boyfriend, or. Or, oh, you know, I was at the range last week, you know, shooting my AR-15. And there have definitely been uh, many moments where someone who's either anti-gun or, or anti-gay, you know, after chatting with me, yeah, you know, there's, there's definitely a, maybe not, you know, not an immediate embrace, but a, kind of like you said, a, hey, you know, uh, gay, you know, oh, I guess maybe not all gay people are, you know, whatever bad you know adjectives that you want to <laughs> that you want to put out there and or uh you know right all you know gun people even if they shoot ar-15s you know maybe they're not all um you know crazy crazy mass killers and what was interesting on that point i remember teaching somebody how to shoot for the first time a few years ago and i brought an ar-15 right to the range and I remember after they fired their first few shots and, you know, and, and, you know, they, they put it on safe and the gun went down and we just had a very quick conversation. I, I always ask a new shooter, how did that feel? What was that like? And this one friend of mine, I'll, I'll never re, you know, forget his response because it, it caught me off guard. And he said, wow, I was expecting to feel evil this i was going to feel more violent and that i'd actually like want to go like hurt or kill someone or something but but he said but i don't feel that and that's that's surprising to me and i don't know if my jaw dropped open right when we we're having this conversation but um like but but that, that was so insightful right that i think that's what is going through the minds of uh, a number of anti-gun people that it's right it's like well people who own guns they must uh um, you know, love the power and they feel violent and uh, they get angry when they're shooting their guns when in fact, you know, that, that, that is 
not what this is about for, for the vast majority of us. Well, I mean, that's, that is absolutely awesome. And yeah, I've, I've definitely seen, I don't know if I've had anybody express it quite so eloquently, but I've definitely seen some people who definitely put the gun down and you could see the wheels turning and you could see that that wasn't what I expected. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. That's uh, that's Chris Chang, uh, uh, owner of the title of Top Shot and uh, author of the uh, book Shoot to Win. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So this won't come as a surprise to anyone who knows me or who hangs around in my circles, but his experience is almost exactly my own. Just just replace the word gay with trans, and it's it's the same thing. And it is remarkable to me that we haven't heard more about this, because I suspect it's pretty widespread. I'd really like to know if there's anyone who has gotten a hard time from the gun community for coming out. I want to know if there's any uh, queer person who has not gotten a hard time from the queer community because they have guns. I really want to know, because they're outliers. Yeah, well, I mean, there's also a reason why I felt like making a nonpartisan Second Amendment podcast, because, yeah, no, I think that that would that is both a uh, a market that needs to be met. And I think something that would be receptive both towards the people that uh, that are on the quote unquote fringes, non-traditional gun owners, as you might say. But I also know that I, traditional gun owners don't have a problem with this. <laughs> So, yeah, I just I I love what a big tent the the 2A community is and I and I I see it as nothing but strength and the 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 handful of people within our group that don't agree with that and I I think they are very few. Um I I think that they just they just don't understand and 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 they need to they don't need to be shunned. I think I think they just need to be taught what allies there are in people that might, might might be be identify as liberal people that are are in in the queer community people of different races people of different religions it's i i i see it as nothing but strength that we can gain from it and I, and i hope nobody forsakes that mhm and it's a message that needs to go out because even today there are members on our side who are actively turning away allies. I, I'm not going to name names, but, but there is someone rather prominent in the Florida rights organization who is vehemently documented, documentatedly. I got screenshots is what I'm saying of, of anti-trans sentiment. And it's like, and, and not just sort of out there, but towards me, it's like, look, I'm, on your side you've met me at rallies why are you going out of your way to alienate me when we should be working together so yeah it, it happens unfortunately it's just nowhere near as widespread as is thought or feared you know it, it's just that that one or two percent at the edges who are loud and obnoxious asses mm. I mean, I think actually the military actually makes a very, very interesting parallel. I mean, there's the military is a, a wide coalition. I think some people might forget that. No, they're it's not all you know Southern conservative white men. You know, there's there's 
there's liberals and there's gays and there, I mean, there's always been gays even in the don't ask don't tell era and i've heard countless stories of people that are like oh yeah no we knew this guy in our platoon was gay and you know what he was a good guy he was working hard so guess what we covered we covered for him we we made sure that he didn't get in trouble because guess what this is a guy that's fighting on our side and we want his back in a foxhole we don't care we're not we're not going to war to have sex we're going we're going to war to fight and he's a good fighter his sex life that's his problem and then now that don't ask don't tell is gone where are the problems there's there's no problems and again even when we're fighting in the Middle East, we've still got lots of Muslims on our side, too. Even though there's predominantly Muslims shooting back at us, it, that doesn't make a difference. It's we're, we're we're if we're all on the same side, it really doesn't matter. Amen. Thanks to each and every one of our listeners and a very special thanks to all our supporters on Patreon. To become a Patreon patron, go to patreon.com slash assorted calibers podcast to sign up. Patrons get an early release of the podcast plus bonus content like our hilarious blooper reels, the ACP film track, and the ACP mag dump. Also, please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with your friends, both online and off. You can get more from me at my blog, which is weirdworld.com, and hear me weekly at Handgun Radio on the Firearms Radio Network. I should probably get like an aggregator website so i can just say go to aaronpallette.com for all your needs but i keep talking about this but i haven't done it so maybe one of these days when i get around to it in my copious free time but until then uh you can find me at lurkingrhythmically.blogspot.com bluecollarprepping.blogspot.com pingpistols.org and blazingsword.org thanks to nate spencer for our music he doesn't like serrated knives and i do our choice of sharp things is assorted, and so's our podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night.